The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Thank you. Please be seated. And before we jump into the Word, I just want to cover two exciting uh, uh, words with you. One is regarding the sabbatical. The other is regarding what the Lord's doing here as far as our uh, facilities go. Uh, the sabbatical, the Lord has laid it on the elders and the church to give me a summer sabbatical. And uh, yes, I hear you, Lord. Uh, the last few Sundays, man, like the first service last week, I lost my voice trying to compete with the rain. Uh, so hopefully that, that doesn't happen today. But over this summer, I will not be the one teaching the Word. Uh, for the summer, we'll have eight different individuals teaching the Word that the Lord has laid on our hearts to ask, and they've agreed. So we've got that all lined up. I'm excited uh, to hear what they have to say. Um, but also, I'll be asking the Lord to, to give me a clear vision and calling for the next five years of our church. What does the Lord have in store for us? And uh, I just want to warn you now, it started this week. Those of you who know me know that this brain, once it gets firing on all cylinders, which doesn't happen often as it used to, uh, I get a lot of ideas. Dana has been married to me for 26 years. Uh, yeah, 24 years. It felt like 26 to her. But uh, we dated six years. She's the one that God uses to say, whoa, some of those aren't great ideas. Let's slow down a little bit. So the vision brain that God has given me started firing on all cylinders this week as I started thinking about, okay, this sermon was written. What am I going to be doing this, uh, this summer? Uh, and so we'll be, I'm sure I'm going to have a, a million ideas of what we can do uh, to grow the church and uh, the operators and processors in the room. I'm looking at one that is much like my wife who uh, it's going to make you very nervous with all these vision ideas. And so uh, I, I look forward to what the Lord's going to do. Be praying that the Lord will give us clear visions uh, for what he wants us to do to continue to grow and develop the ministries of the church. Uh, and then finally, I'll be spending a lot of time on professional development. I started with a list. And I was like, I don't know any good books to read. I've done some research, some talking. Now I've got like 30 good books to read, and I'm trying to whittle that list down to a helpful list. Uh, so I want to ask you to continue to pray about that. Pray that the Lord will give me opportunities to meet with certain people this week. Um, tomorrow, I'm heading to Dallas. I'm going to try to catch uh, a golf tournament. You're like, really? That's the sabbatical? Well, and then the next day, I've got two meetings I'm trying to line up. One, I already have lined up with a church leader uh, at uh, Park City Presbyterian. He uh, is a leader of, an, of a ministry there. I want to meet with him and just learn from him, pick his brain. I've got a business leader over there that we're playing phone tag that's a, actually a member of my family that I want to pick his brain about leadership. And so that's part of what I'm doing this summer is trying to line up appointments with leaders and church leaders and business leaders and just grow as a leader myself. So lots of reasons to pray for me. No, I will be praying for you and we will be in and out as we are in town. So so that's about the sabbatical. About the church and the facilities, I, we want to praise God that he has been growing us tremendously over the last years. He has kept us in a slow, steady, healthy growth mode. And we're to the point where we have run out of space in all areas of our church ministry. This service is actually way over full usually. Like three weeks ago, we had 221 people in here and we only have 200 seats. Now, that's not always, that was the exception, but today we're low, and this is probably about 80% 
full, and that's what it should be, because, or less than 80%. Once you get 80% full, there are families standing on the back row looking for seats, and it's very hard for them to find seats together. And so we need to expand our worship facilities. Our children's ministry is exploding. Uh, Dina Howard and all you teachers are just doing such a great job. The kids are just exploding, and we are out of children's ministry classrooms. As you know, those of you who are back there, we're busting at the seams, and we praise the Lord for that. Our student ministry is exploding. Jared and all the workers there are doing such a great job. The Lord is continuing to bless us. And, I mean, how many kids went to camp that were, that, that were new to the ministry this year? Like, a lot, a lot. The guy came back going, we got a lot of middle school boys. And so uh, they're coming, and it's not slowing down. And so we need more space for that. Uh, our, uh, we need classrooms for us to have adult education classes, a select few classes that will equip members to do the ministry that God's called them to do. The, the, Jared uh, meets his office is in the closet back there. Um, Dina's office is in the copier room over there. Granger's office is that sound booth. Uh, my office is at home. Kevin Wilsey, I don't know who he thinks he is. He's got a beautiful office. It's that corner office over there. But, uh, so we need offices for the staff to do what they need to do. Thankfully, the Lord has provided this house back here, and we want to convert that into offices. We bought the building and the buildings behind it and the land. We own that now. The Lord has just been steady, biting, giving us the resources to bite off pieces of our master plan. We started with this building. We added an education wing back there. We added that playground. We got that land. We built that road. We got this land with the house and the building. And to God be the glory, we have zero debt right now. And so we praise God for that. We thank you for your sacrificial giving. If you're a guest, by the way, I usually say this up front. We did not invite you here to ask you for money. We thank you that you were here. We invited you to here to know our Lord Jesus and to worship with us. And so forgive us for talking family business in front of you, but just... Give me this one privilege and then we'll go to the word of God. But if you are a regular attender and you have asked me, a lot of you have said, I want to participate. How do I do that? If you're a member and you want to participate, we want to let you know how. The website, norrisferrychurch.org, has a little button on it. Click pledge. Click on that and it just follows you through the instructions. It says over and above your normal giving, just let us know what your pledge is. To build the new worship center and the offices and additional square footage for children's space and to convert this into children's space is $5 million. And so we need a lot of money. And so we're asking you to pray about it. Click on there. Go on the website. Let us know what the Lord has led you to give over and above your normal giving. We don't want to drain our budget and just move it over here. So over and above your normal giving, let us know what the Lord's led you to give. We're looking at this as your last week to do that. Pray that the Lord will just provide miraculously for us. At the end of this week, Saturday late at night, the elders are going to check where we are. And then Sunday morning after this service, at 11.35, whenever the service is over, I will give you a report on what the pledge total is. And we'll give you some general guidelines of what we think the next uh, process forward is. And that will really begin the process of really nailing down everything. We'll ask for a lot of detailed input and get your feedback. But we just want to do this to say, here's where we are. How can we move forward in a way that continues to glorify God? Because that's what we want to assure you. We are still all about the word of God, not ourselves, not building our kingdom, but building God's kingdom. We're still about preaching the gospel, discipling the next generation, reaching people with the gospel. So we're never going to lose sight of that, Lord willing. We'll never stop focusing on that. But this is just some practical needs we've got to accommodate to continue to provide the word of God as the Lord provides.
All right, let's go to the Word of God. Open your Bibles, turn on your electronic Bibles to Joshua chapter 24. We come to the last chapter of Joshua. It has been an exciting, awesome journey. We have worked through and seen God do amazing things with Israel. And here at the end, we come to what is a covenant ceremony. And the heart of this chapter is found in verse 15 with this sentence. Choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Life is filled with choices. Every day we are making choices. And it is the sum total of those choices that really define and identify who we are. We don't think of it that way. We kind of think, well, I am this person I have in my mind. But in reality, we very much are identified and defined by the choices that we make each day, day in and day out. And what Joshua is challenging Israel and what the Lord is challenging us today is he has brought us here to confront us and to say very personally, very poignantly, you choose whom you will serve this very day. Some people say, well, I don't have to choose. I don't choose to serve a God. Well, there is the choice that you are making. That in itself is a choice. You may be serving the God of self maybe serving the God of comfort or the God of retirement or the God of security, their God of status or the God of control or the God of escape through substances or entertainment. But we all are choosing each day the God that we will serve. And many times the choice that we are being called to make is like the marriage choice. There's an upfront One-time choice and commitment that is to last a lifetime, but then that choice must be made every day. In the the marriage, we choose up front who I will commit to. And we have a big, beautiful ceremony, and we celebrate that choice. And we say, this is the one I am committing to. I will serve them. And we declare with our vows, I will, through thickness and thin, through health and sickness and health, through rich report, through all things, I will serve you. I will love you. I will commit to you. I will be there with all sincerity and truth. But that's just the beginning. The next morning we wake up, we choose again. This is the person I will love today. This is the person I will sacrifice for today. And the next day, and the next day, in the middle of the day, and on and on and on. Every day that choice is remade. Who will I love over all others? And that's the way it is with God. And that's what we're seeing today is that Joshua is confronting Israel in this covenant ceremony, and he is challenging them to say, hey, stop and declare, whom will you serve? Lord, I ask for your help this morning. I pray, Lord, that as we go through and consider your grace toward us, that your spirit will empower us to make the choice to declare it today that we will serve you with sincerity and truth. And we'll make that choice every day in the days ahead. By grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. We pray that you'll empower us for this today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to break this down into three pieces. First of all, the considerations. 
and then the choice, and then the cautions. We're going to see the considerations, the choice, and then the cautions. In verse 1, we see what's going on in the setting. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel, and it says he gathered them to Shechem. And that might be ringing a bell for some of you who've been reading the Bible. And he called the elders of Israel, their heads, their judges, their officers, and he presented them. That's a formal term of covenant ceremony. They're at Shechem, and he presented them, presented themselves before God. And then Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. And so the language of this setting is describing a very formal covenant ceremony. And notice where this covenant ceremony is taking place. It's taking place at Shechem. Now, what is Shechem? Where is Shechem? Well, this is where it all began. We've been reading through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then Joshua, chapter after chapter, 24 chapters. There's been a story that has been unfolding, and it all began at Shechem. Under it, the oak at Morah. Listen to Genesis 12, 6. Abram passed through this promised land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Morah. I think that Joshua and Israel were probably under the same oak tree. It says, now the Canaanite was then in the land hundreds of years before Joshua and Israel. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, in Shechem, under the oak of Morah, The Lord appeared to Abram and he said, To your descendants, I will give this land. So Abram built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. I wonder if some of the remnants of that stone altar were kind of covered up under some branches under that oak at Shechem. And all Israel has gathered together. The Lord has done incredible work and he gathers them at Shechem under the oak of Morah probably. Abraham's altar is over there kind of crumbles and he says to them hey gather together and this scene that unfolds is experts explain that this is very parallel very similar to ancient Suzerian vassal covenant ceremonies and in those ceremonies what was going on is two kings or two leaders were entering into treaties or covenants but it wasn't two equal kings it would be one all-powerful, superior, dominant ruler graciously offering a covenant to a weaker vassal. And in the covenant ceremony, the first thing they did would identify who the king is, who the superior, dominant king is. And here we see it's the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's Yahweh, the creator. He is the king graciously offering to this vassal, to the inferior Israel, a covenant And in the ceremony, the first thing they would do would just review the history of the all-powerful king's gracious considerations to this weaker vessel. How the king has fought for them. How the king has protected them and provided for them and done all these wonderful things. And so the point when, when all this history has been reviewed and it becomes the choice to be made, the choice is obvious. It's a no-brainer. The vassal should just be graciously, I mean, should be just grateful for the opportunity. All the king, all-powerful king says is, in return, I just expect your loyalty. I expect you to be faithful, loyal subjects of my kingdom. And it's so clear, the only obvious choice, the no-brainer is to say, yeah, thank you for the opportunity. 
And so we see in our text today that this is one of those types of covenant ceremonies where God, the superior, sovereign king and ruler of the universe, who has done all these incredible things for Israel, is presenting them graciously with a choice. Will you be in covenant with me? Will you be faithful to me? Will you be loyal to me? And so let's consider all that God has done for them, the gracious acts towards Israel. And they're listed in the second part of verse 2 all the way down to verse 13. And this is a great review of the book of Joshua. In fact, it's a great review of the first five, six books of our Bible. It says, From ancient times, your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Naor, and they served other gods. Think about that. At this covenant ceremony, Joshua, the Lord is saying through Joshua to Israel, your great, great, great grandfather was a pagan Gentile. We're talking about Abraham. The father of the Jews was a Gentile before there was a Jew. He was in some foreign land worshiping some foreign false gods. When the Lord came, in verse 3, he says, I took your father Abraham from beyond the river, and there's an implied I, and I'm going to insert the I, the pronoun I for the Lord, over and over, because that's the point of all of this. He says, I took your father Abraham from beyond the river, and I led him through all the land of Canaan. He led Abraham up all through the land of Canaan. And he said, look at this land. Everywhere your foot has walked. And he took them to Shechem, where they're standing this day. And he says, in Shechem, at this place, the Lord promised him, I'm going to give your descendants this land. He says, I led them through all the land of Canaan. I multiplied his descendants. Now, remember what was going on in Genesis. Abraham and Sarah were barren. They were not able to have children. And God came to them and said, oh, you're going to have kids. You're going to have a nation of kids. You're going to have more kids than you can count, like the stars and like the sand on the beaches. You're going to have kids. Well, they're like, that's crazy. That's impossible. So they had, took the matters in their own hand and slept with the maidservant and had Ishmael. And God says, no. I'm going to do this. This is not going to be you doing this. I'm going to do this. And so he says, I multiplied his descendants. I gave him Isaac. Remember what Isaac had to do? God said, Abraham, sacrifice Isaac on an altar. And God's like, are you kidding me? But he trusted the Lord and he was about to sacrifice that chosen promised child. And God stopped him and said, now I know you trust me. So God said, I multiplied his descendants. I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau, I gave him Mount Seir to possess it. But to Jacob and his sons, they went down to Egypt. Now, who is Jacob? Remember what happened with Jacob. Jacob was the deceiver. Jacob was always scheming, always getting himself into trouble, making things harder than it had to be. If he had just trusted the Lord, things would have been a lot easier. But God, in his grace, says, that's the kind of guy I'm going to use. And then Jacob gets to the point where he's wrestling with God and God touches his hip and Jacob comes limping into town. But what was Jacob's name changed to? Israel. And so God's saying, listen, Esau, I gave him Mount Seir, but Israel, I sent them down to Egypt. 
That's Egyptian bondage, the movie, The Ten Commandments. And God says, I got them out of Egypt, out of their slavery. Verse 5, I sent Moses and Aaron. I plagued Egypt when Pharaoh said, no, I'm not going to let them go. God said, oh, this is no equal battle. Trust me, son, you're going to let them go. But in the meantime, I'm going to use your stubborn heart to display my glory as I crush you plague after plague. I'm going to display my glory to all the nations. And so he says, I sent the plagues. I plagued Egypt by what I did in its midst. And afterwards, I brought you out. I brought your fathers out of Egypt and you came to the sea. Notice the pronoun talking about their fathers, about what I did with your fathers, with your great grandfathers. But then he says, but now you, you were there. I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you to the edge of the sea. Remember when they were standing at the, at the edge of the sea, they were celebrating, yeah, God got us out of, out of Egypt and out of bondage and out of slavery. And they get to the sea and they're like, oh, roll. And they look back and here comes all the Egyptian warriors coming after them. And Charlton Heston raises his hand and he parts the seas. And God says, that was me. I did that. I parted those seas. I got you across the seas. And he says, you... You stood on the dry ground. You were little at the time and your dads were leading you, but you walked with your little feet and your little sandals across dry ground in the midst of the Red Sea. And when you saw them coming, I sent the waters down. I fought for you. I brought your fathers out of Egypt. You came out of the sea and Egypt pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. Verse 7, but when they cried out to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. And he brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your own eyes saw what I did in Egypt. You saw it. You saw it with your own eyes what I did in Egypt. And then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. And we've read those stories of the wilderness. Wilderness times are tough. But God said, but you, your clothes never wore out. Your sandals never wore out. You whined and complained when you got hungry and you got thirsty. But do you remember how you got water? I gave you water from rocks. I gave you sweet water. I turned bitter water into sweet water with with the limb of a tree. You think that was a magic tree? God's saying, that was me. Remember when you were hungry? I sent donuts from heaven. I did that for you. And when you said, I'm tired of pastries. He said, I sent you quail so you could eat. That was me. I've done that for you. Do you remember all these things? Consider how gracious I have been to you. It says, And then I brought you into the land of the Amorites who lived beyond the Jordan, and they fought with you. But I gave them into your hand and you took possession of their land when I destroyed them before you. I did that. You didn't do that. In verse 9, then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and summoned Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. If you don't know this story, look it up. This is one of the funnier stories in your Old Testament. Balak hires Balaam, who's nothing but a money-grubbing magician, if you will, cashing checks to, to curse people. And so Balak sees Israel coming, and he knows, 
I can't stop them. And so Balaam gets Balaam and he says, listen, I'll pay you a load of cash to come and curse Israel. And Balaam's like, that's going to take a lot of cash. So he gets the cash, he pockets it, he hops on his donkey, which we know the other word for a donkey, and I think it's very appropriate when you read the story. So he gets on this dumb donkey who knows nothing and is stubborn, but he's riding on this donkey, heading out to curse Israel, and the donkey says, whoa! And the donkey is like, I ain't going. Why? Because the donkey could see something that Balaam couldn't see. The donkey could see the angel of the Lord standing there with a sword saying, you come to curse Israel and I will cut you in half. And the donkey's like, I ain't going. And Balaam is kicking and beating and slapping this dumb donkey because he thinks he's an idiot, but the donkey sees something that he won't see. You can't curse Israel if God won't let you. And that's the whole point is the dumb donkey is smarter than Balaam because God says... He could only bless Israel. Balak, the son of Zippor, and he says, I was not willing to listen to Balaam, so he had to bless you in verse 10. He had to bless you. I delivered you from his hand. That's what God was doing over and over, is that God said, I will bless you. I am gracious towards you. I am not willing that they will do anything but bless you. And I delivered you from his hand. In verse 11, you crossed the Jordan. You came to that Jordan River and it was running and raging and it was hard. There was no way you were getting across, but I stopped the river. And do you remember walking across dry dry ground as I stopped the waters from flowing across the Jordan River? You saw that. I did that. Then you entered into Jericho. Remember the battle at Jericho? Was there anything about that battle that they would say, yep, that was me. Man, who knew I could do that with a trumpet? God made it clear, the first epic battle going into the land, this is not about your skill. This is not about your swords. This is not about your bow. This is about me. This is what I am doing for you. God delivered them, gave them victory in Jericho. And it says in verse 11, and the citizens of Jericho fought against you. And then the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Girgashite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, and every other ite that ever came against you, I gave them into your hand. He says, then I sent the hornet. No one knows what the hornet is. It probably just means, it's probably a metaphor for the fear of the Lord. Because you remember in those battles, there would be these reports that I will send confusion upon them. And so the, either the, it's a singular hornet, so it doesn't seem like it was a bunch of hornets. But the fear of the Lord, most likely, was going before Israel. That was God supernaturally working to freak them out so that they would turn against themselves and run. So that it wasn't their swords and wasn't their bows. It was God who sent the hornet before you and drove out the two kings kings of the Amorites from before you, but not with your sword, not with your bow, but I did that. Verse 13, I gave you this land. I gave you this land in which you had not labored. I gave you these cities. Don't you know they stopped and looked around? God says, I gave you these cities, cities which you had not built. Who have you put one brick? Who have you put one stone to build these cities? None of you did any of that. I gave you these cities that you have not built. And you have lived in them. And you are eating of vineyards and olive groves. 
which you did not plant. Consider the grace of God. As you were faced today to make the choice of a lifetime, the most important choice you will ever make, whom will you serve? Who will be your God? Consider the grace of God in your life. The grace of God is the foundation. It's the basis of your covenant with the Lord. It is only possible by the grace of God and it is fueled by the grace of God. It is the logic, it is the reason, it is the motivation for you choosing God. God is saying to you today, do you know why your rear end sits on that chair? Because I brought you here. You didn't choose your family. I chose that. And for most of us, that is a huge blessing. That a family that loved us and supported us, encouraged us, and read the Bible and brought us to church every time the doors were open, even against our own kicking and screaming many times. But the Lord says, I'm graciously planting you in a church. I mean, in a people, in a family that loves the Lord. Some of you right now are saying, not my family. I understand that. But even in the times of the desert, even Jacob, he says, look, I gave Esau easy path, but, but I gave Israel, I sent them through Egypt, through bondage, through slavery, through difficulty, through wilderness. And you know why I did that? Because it's in those times that they saw my power. It's in those times that they saw me deliver them. It is in those hard times that they had nowhere else to turn but to me. And so even though I know it's hard to see, When you look back on your life, those hard times, even those are a gift from God that God has said, I am using that to show you my grace in ways that you can never imagine. When you thought you were moving to this house right up the road because it was just the house of your dreams and you thought you were transferring into Shreveport because it was all about a certain job opportunity or you thought you were marrying that fellow because he is just such an awesome guy and then y'all built your lives that had a friend who came to Norris Ferry. Whatever the path may have been, you are here today because God has brought you here to make this choice. Whom will you serve? Do you see the grace of God? And I hadn't even got to Jesus yet. Do you see that you just took a breath? You ate breakfast this morning. You don't get to choose your health. Every day you're healthy is a gift from God. Every day you're able to get up and put your clothes on and go to work and provide a meal is a gift from God. Every day that you have any blessing in your life, it is evidence of God's grace towards you. Consider how gracious God has been towards you. And then think about the gospel. While you were sinning against this king, he was blessing you. While you were serving other gods, he was feeding you. He was giving you water. He was giving you grace upon grace upon grace until he died for you on the cross. While you were sinning, Christ died for you 
that you may have forgiveness of sins and eternal life and blessing with Jesus. Praise God. What a glorious God he is. Amen? Consider how gracious God is. That is the foundation that fuels our choice. It is the grace of God that motivates us to choose our God. In verse 24, 14 through 15, we see the choice. He says, Now, therefore, therefore, considering all the grace of God towards you, all that God has done for you, therefore, fear the Lord. Serve Him in sincerity and truth and put away your little G, your gods which your fathers served beyond the river and the gods that you picked up when you were in Egypt and serve Yahweh, the one true God. If this is such a powerful verse, If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers that they served beyond the river or the gods of these Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He says, listen to me. Consider the grace of God in your life and quit playing games. You have a choice to make. You will either serve this God who is gracious to you, who has planted vineyards in your yard that you didn't plant, who has built you homes that you have not built, who has lavished you with grace upon grace. But if somehow you consider it evil to serve that God, then tell me right now, who are you going to serve? You're going to serve the gods that we defeated By His power? Are you going to serve the dumb, mute, deaf idols that these idiots have to carry around and say, Help me, God? Is that who you're going to serve? Well, then declare it. Quit playing games. Stand up right now before all of your brothers and sisters and tell us the name of your God. Wow. Who are you going to serve? Like I said, that's a choice we make every day and every moment of every day in very subtle ways. Whether it's the first time or the hundred and first time or the thousand and first time, whom will you serve today? When we consider the grace of God, There's only one answer, and it is to serve Yahweh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But for us to do that day in and day out, multiple times throughout the day, to choose the Lord, we have to set up memorials of God's grace in our life. In the book of Joshua, there's seven memorials At the end of this chapter, Joshua sets up the seventh memorial after this covenant ceremony to say, never forget what the Lord has done for you. 
When they came across that Jordan River, they took 12 stones out of the river and they built a memorial. Never forget what the Lord has done for you this day. And then they battled Jericho and they went into Ai and they got defeated because there was sin in the camp. And then God said, repent of that sin, root it out. And then they got victory and then they set up a memorial. Never forget what God has done for us this day. And memorial after memorial after memorial, never forget what the Lord has has graciously done for you. So we need to set up memorials in our life that remind us of how gracious God has been for us because that's the fuel that ignites the passions of our heart to choose to love God, to be our first love, to worship Him for His goodness and for His blessings because our hearts are prone to wander and we need constant reminders of His grace and love toward us that we will love Him and serve Him with sincerity and truth. What are those memorials in your life? This is a memorial. We come together for memorial service where we sing and we applaud and we praise God for his grace. And we clap for those words that say, and the tomb was empty and he robbed the grave. It's a memorial of remembrance, of remembering his grace. And we open the word of God week in and week out. And we look at the grace of God poured out for us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the point of every sermon preached in this church. And we celebrate the Lord's Supper that memorializes the body and the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us. Because it is by his blood that we are saved and not by our own merits. It wasn't by our sword or our bow. It was by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we memorialize in baptism where we celebrate the water of cleansing that Christ gives us cleansing from our sin. And we submerge our baptism candidates in water, symbolizing that we identify with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That the old sinful man is dead, buried, and we raise to walk in the newness of life. That we have been united with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we celebrate because they tell their stories of grace, of how God saved them. And we say, yeah, I remember that in my life. And we go to community group and we celebrate stories. Tell me what God's doing in your life. And we talk about the scriptures and we say, look what God has done for us. And we encourage one another and we pray and we keep a list of answered prayer. And we remember, oh yeah, think about God answering that prayer. And we set up memorials in our private life where we open the Bible and we are reminded of God and his faithfulness. It's not read the Bible to check off a checklist, go to church. So God will like you obey him in this so that he will accept, you No, the religious activity of this church is all memorializing, remembering, celebrating, rekindling the faith where we worship God for his grace toward us through Jesus Christ. And that's the fuel to say, as for me and my house, once again, we will serve the Lord. What choice will you make? You're making a choice. Will you serve Jesus Christ? But then we get a word of caution in verses 14 through 18. We see the choice they make. Joshua 24, 16. The people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us 
and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us through all the way in which we went, and among all the peoples through whose midst we passed. The Lord drove out from before us all the peoples, even the Amorites who lived in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. The theological term for that is, duh. No, duh, you're going to say that. Who wouldn't serve God who has done all of that for you? I mean, it's, it's a no-brainer. It's a ridiculous, it's not even a decision. I mean, it's just, duh. Uh, I mean, am I really going to serve some dead, fake God? Or the one true God who has just lavished me with grace? But Joshua says, well, not so quick. Do not take this decision lightly. Jesus said, they said, we want to follow you, Jesus. He said, wait a minute. You want to follow me? I don't have a place to sleep at night. You're not going to get rich following me. Joshua said to the people, verse 19, you will not be able to serve the Lord For he is a holy God, he's a jealous God, and he will not forgive the transgression of your sins. Let me stop there. That's hard for us to understand, but what he's saying there, what he means when you look at the language is, he does not play. You can't just give lip service and just keep worshiping false gods. God does not play with that. Verse 20, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done good to you. He will deal with it. Don't just say I'm going to worship God. Don't just give it lip service, but declare now and follow through. Who will you serve? We'll serve God. Well, then you better really serve him. Verse 21, the people said to Joshua, no, 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 but we will. We will serve the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, okay, well, you are witnesses against yourself. You've made your choice. You have chosen for yourselves the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He says, well, then put away your false gods that are in your pocket right now. Therefore, put away the foreign gods which are in your midst and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. It's like he knows what's going on with them. They've been serving, picking up little gods all along the way. The gods well beyond the rivers that their father Abraham served. They got those in their pockets. They got some gods from Egypt. They got those in their pockets. They got some gods from the Amorites that are living in the land right now. They got those in their pocket. And they're saying, yeah, we'll serve the Lord God Yahweh. He says, you really mean that? Yes. He says, you don't understand. If you say that and you don't mean it, God don't play. We mean it. Well, then get rid of the gods in your pocket now. Oh, okay. Then verse 24, the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and we will obey his voice. And praise God, one of the few times they get it right. Look at verse 31. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua. Key phrase. Who had known all the deeds of the Lord which he had done for Israel. 
And that's the key. If you know the deeds the Lord has done for you, the duh is I will serve him with sincerity and truth. If you forget, you lose heart. That's the story of Joshua. Tragically, in Judges 2, this same verse, with one exception, there arose a generation who knew not the deeds that the Lord had done. And they turned to false gods. And God turned and removed them from the land. Jesus is the most incredible, loving, gracious act ever done in the history of humanity. And he did it for you. Consider that gracious act and choose this day whom you will serve. And teach your children. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's a choice my grandparents and parents can't make for me. And they can't make it for you. But you must choose now and every day and all throughout the day to choose to serve the Lord and your household. You as a leader of your household, men, you have a household. You say, as for me and my household, that means you're saying, I will set the example and I will teach my family to serve the Lord. May we never forget the grace of God. And may we always say, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you are such an incredible God of grace. You pursue us even as we collect our false gods, even as we seek after dumb, mute, deaf, graven idols. Idols of our self-creation that do us no good but only seek to enslave us to them. Compared to that, we have the choice to choose a God who has enslaved himself to serve us. A God who speaks, a God who listens, a God who goes before us and fights for us, a God who laid his life down on the cross to die, to take the penalty for our sin, that he may lavish us with his own righteousness and declare us holy, righteous, adopt us as his children and promise to come again and establish the perfect kingdom on earth and let us be a participant in it, enjoying the abundant life forever. The choice is obvious. May we choose again this day to worship you, to serve you with sincerity and truth, to put away our idols, to turn away from them. May we teach our children and may we never forget all your grace toward us. May we have memorials set up all over our life, wherever we go, that remind us of your grace toward us in the person and work of Jesus Christ so that we together will say this day and every other day, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. 
Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.